This game could be your food. Welcome, loves, to the 24th edition of This Band Could Be Your Food. I am your host, Nathan Palin. Thanks for tuning in yet again. This week is an important episode for us because we are essentially covering the band who is responsible for the title of our show, This Band Could Be Your Food. It was slightly borrowed from a lyric that said, Our Band Could Be Your Life. Our Band Can Be Your Life. Perhaps you've heard that lyric. It's the title of a book that came out, what, like 20 years ago, maybe? It was all about underground bands. It featured Fugazi, Dennis Starr Jr. before they got back together, Black Flag, Beat Happening, and of course, The Minutemen. And so people have rightfully so been requesting that I do this episode, and so here we are. Today is the day that we figure out what food The Minutemen are. Sure to be a humdinger. For this week's show, I have brought in an old friend, Jeanette Dainty. She is a huge music fan, has been involved with bands uh, as a touring manager, as a manager for, she's set up shows. She's done tons of stuff. She currently lives in Madison, Wisconsin, originally from Tucson, Arizona. And I've always known her as a huge fan of all things Mike Watt related. I know she's seen... Mike Watt live a number of times in many different configurations. And I know that his music and his influence has been near and dear to her heart, so there wasn't a better guest to have on. Before we get into it, let me plug the show. If you've been listening, perhaps you have left a positive comment on Apple Podcasts. If not, I would love if you did so. And also, somebody just told me that Spotify is now in the ratings game. So if you listen to this show on Spotify, just give it a Give it a rating right from your heart. And I hope your heart says five stars. If you're on Instagram, follow me there. TBCBYF stands for This Band Could Be Your Food. If you're on Facebook, follow the show there. That's the best way to find out when the new episodes drop. And also, let's give a shout out to Izzy's Coffee, our sponsor. If you haven't had a cup of coffee yet and you're somewhere in the Asheville, North Carolina area, why don't you head down to one of their two locations? Get yourself a tasty brew. I haven't had mine yet because... I have to go get an ultrasound. No, I'm not pregnant, but thanks for asking. It's nothing major. I'm going to be fine, I think. But, you know, in our house, we take no chances. I feel great. I'm excited to see what my kidneys look like on a weird computer screen. Not to mention the slime. Always been a big slime fan. Yeah, it's going to be a great day. So how about I go do that and you go to listening to this episode, ladies and gentlemen, number 24 with Jeanette Dainty. This is all about the Minutemen and which food they are. Kapow. Hi, Jeanette. Hi, buddy. How are you? I'm real good. It's really great to see you again. We used to, to you too. we used to hang out so many for all the time back in Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah, we did do that. Yeah, I we sure do miss that time. Mm-hmm. Talking about music, we did a lot of talking about music. Extensive talking about music. When mm-hmm. you would play music, we would talk about music. Yeah, when you would listen to music. We would talk about music. Yeah, I mean, you were lot. you were like our manager there for a for a moment, right? For a hot minute, we we're yeah. gonna make electric automatic go uh, to outer space. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I'm still hoping one of these days it happens. Yeah, it was a great band. So uh, today, uh, it's it's an important day because we're finally talking about you know sort of the responsible namesake of of my show. This band could be your food. Was somewhat borrowed from a uh, a Minutemen lyric. Yeah. And ever since I sort of put the show out, you know, I've gotten requests from people like, "When are you doing in the Minutemen show?" It's like, well, now's the time. We're going to do the show. And you just saw Mike Watt, no? I did. I just saw him at the Empty Bottle in Chicago. Oh, my God. Uh, just like a month ago, I guess. Yeah, 420. I can't think of a better place to see him. Dude, it was so awesome. His <laughs> new band, MSSB, it was so great. Oh, how many? Amazing. Is it still a trio or is he expanding it it's up? A, it's a trio, and actually, I think he's a, a player in the band. Um, one of the dudes, Mike, I think his name is, he's 
the head man and watch us run the base. So yeah, it was so good. It was mind boggling how yeah. good it was. That's Pure awesome. beauty. Yeah. yeah. The, the cat's always out there doing the gig. Dude. And he's still got licks. He's just a maniac. He's got crazy licks. He was so great. Yeah. I mean, how, how could he have done anything but get better after being the bass player of the Stooges for 125 months, as he likes to say. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he slayed that too, didn't he? Yeah, he sure did. So what, like, when is the first time that you remember hearing the Minutemen? It was in Tucson, Arizona. I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. Um, from when I was 14 to 27, I lived there and we used to hang out at my friend Chris Mitchell's house and he had a skate ramp in the backyard Nice. and the guys would play tunes and skate. And the Minutemen was definitely in that lot of tunes that they would play. And I just remember like the total, the timing of the music and these dudes skateboarding and it was hotter than bedevil, you know, we were sitting out there. <laughs> Like the girls and I would sit out on the platform and watch the guys skate and tunes were going. It was beautiful out in the desert, you know, yeah. and that was the first time I heard the Minutemen. And it was always just a constant like background music for skateboarding. You know, we bring the boombox sure. out and like it was. Yeah, that was that. Ugh, it just could transcend me. For sure. So, I mean, it seemed like like the skateboarding, you know, there would be all these skateboarding videos. Right. And, you know, mm -hmm. people would get on VHS and trade them around and whatnot. And, and like the Minutemen were just a standard on that repertoire of, of tunes that they would play. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, that which is funny because like, you know, that those skateboarding videos sort of transformed into like eventually what Jackass became. Right. Right. And then and then Jackass, when they get started, they they go ahead and like rip rip that tune Corona. Which gives them yeah. a whole new life that, you know, <laughs> not even sure they knew they wanted to have, but kind of gave them a whole new uh, following of folks. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like it swept up a bunch of kids that didn't know about the Minutemen. For whatever it's worth, Corona, I mean, Corona's a badass song. And Absolutely. Jackass took it and they made it real good and they, you know, solidified its, its lock and culture. So... Yeah, that's sure. pretty cool. That's an important thing with soundtrack music. It can do that. And I, I really enjoy that. Definitely. I mean, all those bands that sort of made it onto those soundtracks back in the day, like the Repo Man soundtrack, which, you know, had Black Flag and Suicidal Tendencies, all those bands, like they are hereby immortal, you know? Yeah. Like, would we still be listening to uh, if, uh, Stop the World and Melt With You if it didn't end up on Valley Girl, right? Mm -hmm. Right, right, you know, totally. Or, or, or the Plimsolls, like they were on there. Like they just gave exactly. so much life to, to all these bands. Yeah, and you know, in, in its own in its own foray as an art, the soundtrack is an incredible art, you know, in itself. And there are so many soundtracks that can be played front to back and they have this like linear movement. And that's an amazing accomplishment on itself, you know, it's much the same as when you put a record together. And you want that linear movement song to song, any soundtrack that's written song to song, that's, you know, totally. perfection. Yeah. Just yeah. becomes something. Yeah. yeah. Like it, it could, yeah, it becomes its own record, like the Pulp Fiction soundtrack, you know, it, totally. it's, it is its own new piece of, of art. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now for me, the minute minute, it took me a long time to really like sit down with a record of theirs because my, crew back in james wisconsin really wasn't listening to that but what i what they were listening to were the tar babies now the tar babies yeah for madison wisconsin was the segue really from red hot chili peppers i knew them around the mother's milk era and it's like well what else is there than this punk funk thing it's like the tar babies just slid right in and and they happen to be local as well like 45 minutes away from us and so right. after that it's like whoa is that just these two guys and everyone's like no the minute man you got to check out the minute man and i don't like i didn't know anybody who knew the minute man so i just never i never really went and got a record until one day i'm over at mad city music 
and there is an LP of double nickels on the dime. I was like, all right, let's do this. Fire it up. And, sh you know, sure enough, it, it really hit on all cylinders. It was so great. And I even found out that, like, they were covered by bands that I didn't even realize. Like, I was really into Sebado, and they covered a Minutemen song. <laughs> I had no idea it was a Minutemen song until like I was really just combing over their entire discography over the past week, like kind of getting pumped up about Minutemen yeah. stuff and be like, oh my God, that tune? I had no idea. So there's a lot of those little moments because, you know, that band doesn't really like write a song with like a catchy chorus, a catchy, memorable chorus. Right. Yeah. I was thinking about that earlier this week. I was like, dang, you know, it's always been kind of ambient music the Minutemen you know yeah. like I said with the skateboard track also the skateboarding going on and then the Minutemen going on in the background and I never really paid attention like certain things I'd pull out immediately because I grew up in a jazz household my dad's a jazz musician so oh, I would I hear drum tracks and bass tracks I would hear the rhythm section first sure so lyrics always came last guitar lines always came last the first things that came to me were the rhythm section so I was listening to Minutemen like for serious, like legit, like sitting and listening to it, you know, like as a, as an audiophile. And I'm like, dang, there's so many things, so many D boon lines that are just incredible. So like all of the influences that he had, you know, totally. his honky tonk influences, all those things just bleed in and pop in and yeah. And George jazz and yeah, the jazz and like, like blues riffs yeah it's just a crazy like whammo all of a sudden i was like dang it man they really really locked all these things totally d boone was playing jazz chords like just banging out jazz chords it was like the exact crazy. exact opposite of like the ramones the ramones are just playing the the big strings da -da 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 -da. and he's playing all the little strings the ones on top he's playing these weird like nine chords that right is not in hardcore at that point at that moment under any way, shape, or form, except for like when maybe Greg Ginn accidentally, you know, was just like doing some chromatic weird thing and would hit some weird notes. But, you know, it was all intentional with, yeah. with the Minutemen. Like they were just going at it. And that's, <laughs> meanwhile, you've got Mike Watt just walking the bass. Same thing. He's not ever just sitting on a note. He's just do, 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 just hitting these runs. And yeah. Yeah. And it's like, seriously, in those days, nobody was doing that. No, 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 no. And that's the thing, too, is like when you listen to them, you don't hear like one band defining an influence. You don't listen to the Minutemen and go, oh, this was totally influenced by Mata Hoople or this was totally influenced by, you know, T-Rex, you know, Watts a yeah. huge T-Rex fan. But you don't yeah. hear that like interjection of it. You just hear genres of music and the yes. communication between the three of them yes. that is just incredible totally. you know and the riffing off of one another the the call and response from one another is just so mm -hmm. cool like if you step back you can hear the elements of credence and blue oyster cult and Captain right. beefheart and ornit coleman and you know that list of, of bands like have nothing to do with each other <laughs> you know, right? those if you are... look at it a piece of paper, it doesn't look like it would make any sense. But yeah, if you break no, it down, yeah. It's just like five random records that somebody found out in the street. But, you know, somehow they mushed them all together and then there you go. And as you're saying, George Hurley, the weirdo Keith Moon of punk rock. Dude, <laughs> right? Yeah. Punk is a maniac. Totally. Hurley's a maniac. Yeah. And what did I, I was, um, I watched uh, with Jamakano. I watched that movie again, like this Essential. last week. That's actually yeah. one of my favorite documentaries ever. Uh, yeah. It's a really great documentary as far as the film goes. And the storytelling is so good. Yeah. But he was talking about how he grew his hair out real long because his arms were super busy all the time. And he had to like, he had to have some like, other effort because people couldn't see him or something to that effect so he grew his hair up so he could <laughs> whip it around so they would recognize that that dude was back there like full on you know yeah yeah, yeah. totally so cool i, I wish right. i would have seen them i never saw them damn it man i was i was too young to see the Minutemen, but yeah we all I know were. i would have loved it 
When yeah. I mean, when did the party end? Was it like eighty five? Something like that. Yeah, eighty five. Yeah. Yes, unfortunately, the tragic end to the saga of the Minutemen was when D Boone was killed in a van accident on December 22nd, 1985 on Interstate 10. I just wanted to pop in and verify the date. Jeanette and I will talk about it a little bit more later. Stick around. But as you know, the very first section of the show, we've got a segue from here into the food. Yeah. Um, this week, once again, I was very fortunate that you, Jeanette, my, my guest, sort of hit the nail on the head right off the bat with what you thought the food was. And uh, the light bulbs went off. It said, yep, this is the one. You mentioned a couple of things, but there was one that just kind of like stuck there. You had said sardines and eggs. <laughs> and, I, you know, like the more and more I thought about it, th- it's, those are, you know, two things that you wouldn't imagine are going to go together. Right. Until you try it. And what in econo food? Totally. The cheapest, most nourishing, lovely meal that you can get. Start out your day. Um, and I was looking at the the benefits of sardines, and they say uh, it's a nutritional powerhouse. Uh, why don't you listen to 40 Minutemen songs in 20, 26 <laughs> minutes? And so, yeah. So uh, they um, there's low mercury levels because their lower rank on the food chain makes them less susceptible to contaminants. So, you know, they're pure. They are sustainable, econo. They are inexpensive, econo. And they are tasty. They are very tasty. And also, I think about the early days of all of them riding around in a van together. You know, because back in the day, multiple bands would tour in the same van, like Black Flag and Minutemen would routinely travel America in a van. And Henry Rollins complaining that Mike Locke wouldn't shut up, just would talk the (laughs) whole time. You know, shall we say packed like sardines? Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, yeah. Ting. Yeah. Shot. So nice. I'm in. I love it. And I've never had this dish before. And, you know, since I'm somewhat relatively new to the Minutemen, and I'm relatively new to their food, Minutemen are sardines and eggs, otherwise known as the fisherman's eggs. Here we go. favorite things about the Minutemen is their uh, their lingo. You want yeah. to do, how about, uh, I'll throw a couple words out at you, see if that you, uh, you, you know what it means. Um, okay, pop quiz, so I'm ready. One, uh, Praj. What's Praj mean? Praj? Praj. Spell it. Use it in a sentence. I'm not sure. Uh, we are going to get started on our Praj soon. Oh, project. Project. That's- and we'll type it up on our pewter. Oh, that's a computer. He chimps. He chimp, chimp, chimp. Mike Watt <laughs> chimps his computer. Does he? <laughs> yeah. That's what he calls it in his t- tour diaries. I was chimping. Oh, my goodness. I wish I had yeah. read that one down. Uh, so they have to get in the boat. Oh, that's the van, man. That's right. Everybody knows the boat's the van. Absolutely, and uh, they uh, and when they're done, they're gonna they're gonna go go right before he starts the show. He always has to go conk, take a nap, take a nap. That's right, and then go get some chow. That's grubbage. Yep. Um, yeah, you got it. Except I, I threw you off with the proj, but I did that on. on yeah, way to break the gate with the prod. Sure. <laughs> That's because I'm I'm just a square John. Oh, look yeah. at you. Yeah. Shiny. Yeah. yeah, we'll keep windbagging here. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you know that Red Hot Chili Peppers record Blood Sex Sugar Magic was dedicated to what? I did know that, yes. What do you know why? I don't remember the story. You know why. Tell I me why. I don't know why. I may not know why, but I do know this. In 1992, Flea said to a magazine dedicated to playing the bass guitar, I won't tell you which one. He said, we dedicated the album to Mike Watt of the Minutemen and Firehose. We all admire him very much. He's amazing, innovative, beautiful, melodic, and hardcore, all at the same time. His work on the Minutemen's double nickels on the dime is phenomenal. He manages to be very busy and complicated without screwing up the song. 
but he can also play the simplest thing in the world and imply that he can play anything. He's one of the greatest bass players ever. Kapow. They are from San Pedro. Is that the correct, is that the pronunciation that the rest of the world uses or is that their own? Well, if they know what they're talking about, they do know it's called San Pedro. I thought it was San Pedro. No way, man. Where are you from, Wisconsin? No, it's San Pedro. Everybody knows it's San Pedro. Well, I know that they say Pedro, but I don't know if they're being cute. No, that's not cute. That's the way you say it. San Pedro. All right. That's the funny thing about those guys is they talk just like my uncles from the Midwest talk. In what fashion? Just their accent and the way Mm. that they tell a story. You know, like they have this, and, and I say they, I'm talking about as much George Hurley as I, as I mean, Mike Watt, the two of them, they, I mean, they talk like they've grown up together clearly. And they're absolutely. From- it's so crazy. I was actually thinking about that. I was listening to Hurley talk and I'm like, those two Watt and Hurley have a like synonymous, like everything, the sway in their vocabulary goes together and like, yeah. you know, phrasing, etc. Yeah. It's yeah. So hey, good. Hurley, you know, back in the day, he was a surfer. Um, originally born in uh, Massachusetts, uh, he moved to California when he was nine, which is the same the same time frame that uh, Watt moved. He moved from what was it, Virginia, something Virginia, like that. Virginia, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Both of them East Coasters, and uh, their parents. George's father was a cobbler, picked up work in on the East Coast, brought the whole family. His family of five. George is the oldest of of all of his family, and the first one to be a musician. Here's more George facts for you. Yes, oldest of five, he has two brothers and two sisters. His two brothers are Greg and Mike. Greg actually made his own instrument called an apple sizer and uh, is like a songwriter, renegade, his own man. His other brother Mike plays drums in punk bands. But Greg is actually featured singing backup vocals in some of the very early Minutemen recordings. And uh, yeah. George, facts. Facts about George. Thank you. He always wanted to play drums at George Hurley, but, um, you know, didn't have a drum set. And eventually, after he got sick of surfing, he sold his motorcycle to finally buy a drum set. And once he got it, he was playing like eight hours a day, which he had to it because the word on the street is that he first started playing in a band with Dee Boone and Mike Watt after only knowing the drums for a year and a half. That's what a year and a half. That's what they say. Did he go in with licks like that? Like he had like the reactionaries is pretty great. I mean, they, that's they, some serious punk rock right there. They kind of are the reactionaries. That's the first band that all three of them are in. step back a little further from there because we got to get to the core of this band which is you know Watt and D. Boone. D. Boone notoriously falling out of a tree. Yeah. Thinking that he's jumping on his friend. All right. It happens to be Mike Watt instead. What were they playing? I don't think. Cowboys and Indians or G.I. Joe or something like that. They were playing. Oh they were playing Army. That's what they were doing. Playing Army. Well Yeah. yeah yeah yeah. He thought it was a different guy. I think I forget the name of the person that he thought he was jumping on. Eskimo. D. Boone thought he was jumping on his friend Eskimo. Not that it's important, but Eskimo. He's like, and he's like, well, I just moved to town. You want to hang out? <laughs> so, so they started hanging out. And uh, D. Boone, the first thing he does is he recites all of these George Carlin bits from a record. Because <laughs> like that's that's what he's listening to is like comedy records. Right. And Mike Watt's like, man, this is the funniest, smartest guy I've ever met in my life. Not knowing it was George Carlin bits. And like the next day he goes over to, to Boone's house and Boone plays in the record. And he's like, oh man, that jerk, he stole it all from George Carlin. <laughs> you so, got to get your humor somewhere. For That's sure. a good place to start. Yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah. So those kids are hanging out. They go over to D Boone's house and D Boone's mom's like, you guys are going to hang out here and you're going to start a band. And apparently he was already teaching D. Boone how to play the guitar. She said, "What? You're gonna play bass?" And Watt's like, "All right, fine." <laughs> so yeah. I mean, I I have a bass guitar. I fiddle around with it. Actually, ironically, 
my ex-husband gave me the bass guitar and I said, the first thing I said to myself is I'm going to be just like Mike Watt. And <laughs> I got on it and I was like, how the hell am I going to be just like Mike Watt? That guy's <laughs> genius. And I would play forever until my hands were cramped and blistered up and whatnot. You know? Well, it's, Mike, it, Mike Watt is the high water bar for most bass players. I would you say. Know? Yeah. <laughs> You know, if, totally. if you're going to reach for the stars, I mean, you, you can't really do much better. Yeah, than, well, than, than you know, that dude. Got to have goals. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So, uh, yeah, so those, those guys, they were talking about the fact that the, all the bands that they went to see were arena rock bands. It was that moment in time, you know, before punk rock really hit, where the music was primarily happening in arenas at least all the bands that they wanted to see, which was your T-Rex and your Blue Oyster Cult, all those bands, like, that was the way to go see them play. And in fact, that was the first show that him and Dee Boone ever saw was T-Rex. Oh, wow. That's the, You know, the way it was structured in those days is, like, they didn't even have merch at the show. They just, you just had the show. You went in and saw the band, and if you wanted the record, if you wanted a T-shirt, like, you would have to give it from somebody who was bootlegging it down at the end of the street just because... That you know, that's where they were. It was those days where, like, the records were the reason that bands were able to make a living. So doing the shows for them was about promoting the record. And pretty soon that all got twisted around because you know this is when punk rock first started to happen. D Boone and Mike Watt find out that there's this whole scene happening in in Hollywood, and they're like, "Yeah, it's just like two fifty. You can go down. There's four or five bands." So they're introduced to punk rock and, and they look at each other and they're like, yo, we could do this. We never wrote our own songs till punk rock. See, we never know you, you could. I don't know. Why did we do that? Write right. our own songs. Why didn't we? Yeah. We just, you know, <laughs> didn't no one else did there, you know. And we never took a class in songwriting, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And then when we heard these other lame dudes writing songs, it was like, oh, man, we could do and this. It's like the first time where they realize that the power is in their own hands to go where they want to go. Like, they don't have to reach for the arena rock stage and the major label and all that stuff. They're just like, we could do this ourselves. And, you know, so that's when the reactionaries start. That's awesome. You know? This would be super great if they had some remastering going on because there's a lot of really cool stuff in there. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, just to kind of balance everything out. But they primarily existed in the basement. They only ended up playing two shows altogether. Okay. And I think it might have been their first or second show where they ended up playing with Black Flag and sort of finding out about the Black Flag guys. Because it's more or less Greg Ginn that, you know, takes a shining to what, what these two dudes are doing. Uh, and I think it was around that time that Debu just said, look, we need to get post frontman aggressive guy. You know, because at that point, you know, the music is good, but it's a little bit more straight ahead and it's not really the revolutionary ground that they're about to break when they get discovered to the Wire album Pink Flag. That's great. Was the record that sort of changed their lives because that was a band that that did their songs without choruses they they just did their music well, we sounded like a hundred other bands so we wanted to get our own style and we purged all our rock even though that's yeah. what we come from you know we, we did this real uh a perverted format like no solos no choruses this was a way to get our own sound and you know it, it didn't matter like the song could be a minute 30 and it was like the first time where you know, the song was a minute 30, not because they're playing it at, at warp speed, like all the hardcore bands were doing it, you know, that, that still had choruses and verses. It was like, these guys just said, we don't need to have solo. It was haiku. Um, yeah. Just son sonic haiku. No, seriously, it's just sort of like just that poetic phrasing, you know, totally. thought, yeah, background, yep. you know. Totally. When the reactionaries broke up, and they broke up because Deep Boone said, I don't want to do this anymore. So he quit. And Mike Watt said, well, I'm going where he's going. <laughs> so <laughs> so he, he, he quit, too, and that essentially dissolved the band. And then George Hurley said, well, I'm going to go play with another band because I went and learned how to play these drums 
So he joins this band called Hello Taxi. Correction, this band's actually called Hey Taxi. I hate dogs! I hate dogs! This song's called I Hate Dogs. George Hurley entered the Minutemen picture after they left high school, even though they were all in high school. Turns out that uh, Mike Watt uh, was kind of a dork in school, so didn't somehow make an impression. Like, (laughs) him and D. Boone were into, like, history and uncool things like that. You know, at at that time, it's not cool. But apparently, at some point in time, they were at a party, and Mike Watt was stuck in a bathroom with George Hurley, and and he talked him into it. He's just like, you got to be in my band, man. This could be so great. And George's like, well, all right, fine. <laughs> That's amazing. I would like to see that. You fly on the wall in that bathroom. That's hilarious. <laughs> right? The Minutemen do start with a different drummer. They play about two shows with this guy. This guy. This guy is Frank Tonk. Tonke. Tonk. Last name spelt T-O-N-C-H-E. He's the original drummer of the Minutemen. Apparently they had swiped him from a polka band called the Polish Eagle Polka Band. Twas a welder by day, fitting right in with their blue-collar ethic, and joined the initial lineup because George was busy with Hey Taxi. After two shows and endless gobs of spit, Frank decided that was not his bag. Fortunately, George Hurley had departed from Hey Taxi, and all the stones fell right into place to begin the Minutemen as we know them. Carry on. But they mentioned in those days, like, people would throw, like, bags of feces and even mentioned someone throwing a toilet seat <laughs> on stage. It's a rough times, man. Long gone. As much as we complain about the kids these days. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this is a masked generation. Nobody's going to be spitting. Even though spitting became cool in London, you know, at the beginning of this coronavirus thing. Did you remember that? Was, no. Wasn't Boris Johnson saying, like, when Corona first happened and they weren't taking it seriously, it's like, hey, everybody, you should spit in everybody's face. And oh, then everybody will get it. <laughs> yes, I do remember that. Yeah, the yeah. whole chicken pox theory. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. a great idea. Yep. Thanks, yeah. Boris. <laughs> no, spitting, spitting is not that cool, even at yeah. a punk rock show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Folks, let me take a moment to talk about Greg Ginn. Some of you may not know why he's so important in the story. He is the guitar player and the band leader of Black Flag, one of the pioneering hardcore bands from L.A. Although they were kicking around as early as 1976 when they were called Panic, it seems their impact on the music scene started around 79 or 78. That's when they changed their name to Black Flag. To give you some context, the entire life of the early Sex Pistols was from 1975 to 1978. So essentially, Black Flag grabbed the hardcore baton and pivoted punk music into what became known as hardcore music. In 1981, D.C. native Henry Rollins joined that band, and they released their first full-length record called Damage on their very own record label, SST. Now, the importance of SST records cannot be understated. They were championing such now-iconic bands as Sonic Youth, Descendants, Dinosaur Jr., Meat Puppets, Husker Du, Bad Brains, Screaming Trees, Tar Babies, as I talked about before, Soundgarden, Negative Land, and the list goes on. However, they also had the reputation for not paying their bands on the roster their due royalties, which had many of these bands pulling out and heading for higher ground. The point I'm making is that Minutemen's EP, Paranoid Time, was the second release ever on this label. And Minutemen and the Black Flag guys toured together frequently. They met each other at a class show in L.A. that Mike Watt and Dee Boone were just attending. The Black Flag guys were putting posters on people's windshields out in the parking lot, and Mike started chatting him up since he was from Pedro and super excited to know that punk rock was coming to his town. Greg Ginn provided the outlet and inspiration to the Minutemen that they could do it. Punk in those days had no borders, and Mike Watt and Dee Boone had the floor to make their own band like no other, record without restrictions other than keeping things on a shoestring budget, which would later be known in their circle as Jamming Econo. Anyways, Greg Ginn created the template for the American DIY scene, which stands for Do It Yourself. They were saying no to major record labels, who may not have even been interested in them in the first place, quite frankly. But 
Regardless, they were carving a network of bands and micro-punk scenes all over America and Canada that would be an essential resource for the underground music scene throughout the 80s into the early 90s for spreading its wings, touring, recording music, creating fanzines, rallying together, and finding something to call their own and be proud of. DIY, man. It makes tons of sense that they they would be supportive of the the DIY effort, especially in that early, I mean, this is early, early times, like Cro-Mag DIY kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Because DOA. they grew up, yeah, like, like they grew up in a very um, limited access lifestyle, you know, in San Pedro, all those guys, they, they kept to their themselves in their families, their, you know, Boone's mom was like, hey, let's keep you guys close. Watt's mom was like, keep you guys close to the house. There's a bunch of trouble in San Pedro. Yep. You know, it's the 70s. We want to yeah. keep you out of gang. So let's just stay home and like learn some music and like create your own excitement. Totally. And that's where DIY comes from is like staying in your nucleus and creating your own excitement. Totally. And that's it's built off really- a foundation of love. Totally. <laughs> You know, caring for each other and like having each other's backs and like looking out for each other. Yeah, which they've continued to do, which, you know, when they're touring, they're in the same boat together. You know, everybody's packed like sardines, you know, doing that whole thing and living off of one another. They vibe off of one another. You know, you get up in the morning and what are you going to do together? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, just a yeah. really nice. And, and And for the bands in that day, Sure, they had to make some money to get by, but really for them, as long as they had the opportunity to play their music for people, like that was the ultimate end goal. They were very slightly political. Maybe maybe not too sly. I mean, they also like had a really like brash sense of humor on top of it. Very insider jokey. Frequently their jokes would get unnoticed and they wouldn't even know because they were so like insular and so in their own bubble, in their own world that they created yeah. themselves. They were smart enough, you know, as they said, they jammy Kano. So nothing was overblown. Like they didn't have managers. They didn't, they didn't have anything more than they needed. Every record they made was done with by peanuts. Like, <laughs> do you Dude. know how shit, they're talking about like their very first record, they would record it in one night and they'd mm-hmm. always do it the the late night shift the a.m. like the midnight to 8 a.m. shift where it was the cheapest that they could get it they would record on previously used tape and they would record and mix and they would leave with an ep (laughs) you know and within hours within hours within hours yes and i think the first recording was like 300 which is actually more expensive than some of the later recordings they did like what are their most influential records or EPs? We'll call them EPs because I mean they just their songs are so short. <laughs> like for instance, their their first full length was eighteen songs and was fifteen minutes long. Right. <laughs> um, the record Buzzer Howl under the influence of Heat was recorded for fifty bucks. This guy Ethan James, the guy who eventually went on to record uh, Double Nickels on the Dime, which is their their masterpiece, their you know their top of the mountain was recordings just bands because he wanted to put out his own compilation. Funny enough, on that compilation was the Minutemen as well as the Bangs, later to be known as the Bangles. Ding! Dang. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, they eventually put out this record, but they wanted to do three more tunes. So then Spot, the famous engineer of all things SST, recorded three more songs and they paid 50 bucks for that. Whereas the the tunes that they did with Ethan James were done for free because they ended up donating uh, one of the songs to this compilation that he was making. (laughs) This guy, Ethan James, happens to be a a very uh, prominent uh, hurdy-gurdy player. I don't know. I, that's. Uh, do you know any other hurdy gurdy players? Don't you play hurdy gurdy? That's the one thing that I've. Uh, you can't yeah. play hurdy gurdy. They don't I make be- a less strong hurdy gurdy. I think it's really hard to find a hurdy gurdy. I think they only made six of them. 
and Sting owns three of them. Oh, well. <laughs> Maybe you call him up. Yeah, I'm trying to. Um, more about that record. Um, Jeff Tweedy of Uncle Tupelo, Wilco, says that this is one of his major formative influences on him during his early 20s. Later on, he actually ends up writing a song for Uncle Tupelo record called D Boop. Uh, Steve Albini also says it's like one of the 101 albums to hear before you die. So good. Those early EPs are so great. Yeah. The bass work on those early records is amazing. Actually, there's, I can't even like narrow it down to the bass. There's so many, yeah, yeah, so many different things that are just so incredible. Yeah. Um, but they're kind of a different band even in those days uh, because Mike Watt is playing the bass with a pick at that point. Um, as he's transitioning on, by the time he gets to double nickels, he, he gets rid of the pick. And he just plays with his fingers, you know, like your, your traditional style bass playing. And to this day, doesn't know how to play with a pick anymore. Yeah, crazy. Like he, he, he mentions it. Like when they were trying to do, um, like him and George Hurley have been doing some gigs, the two of them, where they just sort of play the Minutemen stuff. You know, not too often. It's just kind of like a one-off here and there if they're sort of requested to do so. But he, he said that he sort of had to relearn how to play those songs because, you know, it, it, was, it was a different animal back then. He played it. He played it with a pick, and he's since forgotten how to play with a pick. So it's kind of funny. That's super interesting. I never even mm. thought about that. Yeah, yeah, crazy. I think they first did it for an All Tomorrow's Parties that was curated by Jeff Mangum from Neutral Milk Hotel. I think that he's the first person, if I'm not mistaken, to call those guys up and say, we want you to do like a Minuteman reunion. There's an interview somewhere where Mike was talking about, he's like, I don't know, this neutral milk dude is calling me, wants me to do a thing. <laughs> it's like, like, oh, Jeff Mangan? Yeah, that'd be pretty And he cool. did it? Did they do it? They did it, yeah. That's yeah, they amazing. went and did it. Yeah. Oh, so awesome. Yeah. This is kind of a funny story, but one of the last times I saw him, when was it? A couple of years ago, we went to Milwaukee at Shank Hall and we saw Mike Watt and Meat Puppets open. And after the show, Mike Watt and I chatted for a second. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> um, but Watt and I chatted for a second and I reminded him of the time that I met him in Madison at the Annex when I was pregnant with my son, Ace. Oh, wow. You know. Yeah. I met. I, I was at that we, show too. Yeah. Were you? I was probably there. After it happened. After we saw this show, okay, so I'm a pregnant lady. I'm at a Mike Watt show. I got a baby in my belly, and I'm like, I'm going to get this baby to meet all the bands it can before it comes out, you know? Yeah. And you knew me when I was pregnant, so you and oh, yeah. you know I'm a rock fiend. So I'm at this show, and I'm like, oh, my God. And also, Ace's dad, Jerry, and I talked about naming Ace Watt. And I was like, I don't know, man, I, to Joey, I'm like, I don't know if we should name him Watt because, you know, we probably should ask Watt for his, you know, blessing to name this child Watt. Yeah. And because I was like dead set on Watt. I'm like, I'm going to name him Watt. And so the show at the Annex, I stopped and I talked to him after the show and I was like, hey, Watt, I just want to say hello and thank you for the show. And it was a super good time and blah, blah, blah. And I want to, I want to know if it's okay if I name my baby after you. <laughs> <laughs> and he like looks at me kind of aghast and is like, uh, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, my name is Michael David Watt and I'm from San Pedro, California or something to that effect, you know? And he was like, whoa, that's really like, that's really humbling and like kind of overwhelming, you know? Yeah. And uh, I was like, okay cool and I'm like totally nervous you know yeah. I'm pregnant and I'm like already all that <laughs> stuff's going on and my belly's poking out and he looks at me he's like whoa okay cool all right ma'am well yes Michael David Watt or something you know something to that effect yeah but it was just such a like to me I was like oh my god Watt gave me a blessing to name my child after him but I didn't want to name him Michael or David I wanted to name him Watt like yeah straight totally, up, you know totally. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But it was so funny because I know I've been following Watt for years and going to see him live. And I know he puts these tour diaries together. And I went back and I read his tour diary 
and he mentions it in the tour diary and it's just really really sweet what he says after my conversation with Jeanette she was kind enough to send me the text inside of the tour diary that Mike Watt wrote about them when she met Jeanette in her pregnant tummy he writes this man asks me permission to use my name for his baby and I say I would be very honored his lady appears a little bit later. Whoa, baby is showing. Maybe some vibes from the little bass that way, huh? What a sweet couple. Love you three. Aww. And he's just like such a delightful person. When you meet him, you know, he always welcomes people to the stage after the show. And he's just so kind. And one of the kindest people in rock and roll. Seriously. I've never seriously. heard anything other than that. Yeah. No. And he's a storyteller and he, you know, if he can catch up with you, he will. And yeah. Anyway. Yeah. One of the fun things about doing this podcast is in order to research and I listen to like as many podcasts and interviews as I can. And what really is striking about him is, you know, even in him living with the tragedy of D Boone passing away, it has a, had a, a profound effect on him as a person. Like he was going to give up the base. He gave up, they say he gave up the base for like 10 years. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he just couldn't fathom the idea of playing music without his best friend, his like musical companion. But he has nothing but time for anybody who wants to ask questions about him or remember him or talk about his legacy. Like he just, he's an, an endless well of, Anything you want to know. And, um, you know, you got to applaud him. D Boone couldn't have done any better than having Mike Watt in your corner, sort of carrying your flag for the rest of time, you know, yeah. as long as, as, as he's going to be on this earth. So it's really, it's really cool, you know. One of my favorite things about the music that Mike Watt has played since Minutemen is that I feel like. It's, it's a commitment to D. Boone after his passing that when he went on and he did Firehose and then when he went on and he did his solo stuff and all of his solo records, the many, many solo projects that he's done with, he probably wouldn't call them solo records because he had other artists, musicians play yeah. with him. I all Hogan Todd Boat has like 56 different. Right. And all of the records after that, every single project, you know, every single mark in his, you know, Mm -hmm. literary, his life thus far has continued on his homage to D Boone. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that it's intentional, but I do think it's like it's pulsates in his heart. You know what I mean? And there's a, a lot of bands that leave off and pick up. You know, yeah. they leave off their former memories. They want to erase that and just d- disallow that it even happened. But Watt and D Boone were so, they were insular. They were committed to one another for such a long time in the, you know, the most intense part of their lives. And they made this, like, they made a baby together, you know? <laughs> yeah. Watt has just kept going and progressing and carrying on everything that he started with Minutemen. You know, he doesn't dip off and play a country record. He doesn't dip off and, you know, go weird, funky blues. You know, he just keeps doing this crazy thing yeah. that just is one continuous moment of the Minutemen evolved. And it's beautiful. It's why I like to listen to him play music, you know. And I think totally. that's really a very cool lesson to, like, commit to to himself, you know, and to others. It's really just such a wonderful torch that he carries. And, you know, it's, it's, it's him, you know, it's his heart. Like he, he basically built his entire legacy as a bass player, as a musician, as a songwriter, you know, you know, even though everybody in the Minutemen did write songs, Mike Watt was sort of the primary songwriter. Mm -hmm musically speaking and that is that isn't to say that he wrote everything he would write the bass lines and he said like one of the best parts is that he would just bring it to boone and he would sort of have in his head a little bit like what the guitar is going to be and he said without him saying anything d boone would just already tap in 
to what that vibe was and would already be playing this awesome, you know, the guitar line that he right. had in his head, you know, like those two really practically shared the same brain. That kind of relationship is the kind of relationship I think everybody's looking for in their entire life, you know, be it, you know, like a, a lover or a friend or a bandmate or a workmate or something like that. Everyone's just like looking for that person that makes the other person better. And it rings true in every single band he's ever played in. Every single, every single project that he's ever had, it rings true. You know, he, he, the MSSV sure. show that we just saw a month ago, that he, he gave the shout out to the other band members. It wasn't about him. He was just there as the bass man, you know, he's yeah. just doing that thing. And those dudes swung hardcore and Watt was just filling in the bass line, you know? It's yeah. incredible, incredible. Hey folks, I'm gonna put a little pin in the conversation right here and say this is the end of part one of our Minutemen chat. There's plenty more and I'm gonna reserve that for part two. For now, we're gonna get over to the food. I'll drop the second half of this conversation in the next episode coming up next week. Two Potter. So here comes the food. Jeanette said sardines and eggs. When I typed that into Google, it said fisherman's eggs. So I'm making fisherman's eggs. Jeanette is making a traditional sardines and eggs. Here's how we did it. Dot, dot, dot. Is what I'm eating. Oh, look at that, baby. Dang, arugula. Yeah, arugula. Woo! All right. So here we are sitting in front of our plates of sardines and eggs. I feel like you and I had different approaches. That's probably true. Tell me about your sardines and eggs. So, okay, King Oscars. First, let's start with that. I did King Oscar sardines. Oh. In the water. Because we live in Madison, Wisconsin, so I don't have access to like the best sardines on the planet. But I got King Oscar, which is the old standby. Okay. Uh, boneless or boned? No bones. Mm-hmm. Boneless, skinless, mm-hmm. um, in water. But I drained them and then I dredged them in polenta and for the Italian. Um, wow. Impressive. Yeah. And then uh, fried them. And over roasted potatoes, roasted potatoes with chives. Nice. And uh, with some salsa verde on top for the t- the Tucson in me. Yeah. And then, oh, sorry, uh, e- uh, over easy egg on top. Nice. Yeah. So it's real good. Right on. Okay. So, so my approach, you know, when I typed in Google sardines and eggs, Mm-hmm. It basically the term fisherman's eggs came up. And so that seems to be kind of its own thing. And I, I'm finding that the key ingredients are eggs, sardines, and arugula. Like every recipe that I've found has those three things. So we're going to say that those are your three members of the Minutemen. I'm going to say that the sardine is your what? The, uh, the, the egg is your deboon. And uh, George Hurley is your arugula, you know? The bed, the foundation to sort of keep everything together. I like it. I like it. All right. So what I did is I did about a quarter cup, half cup of diced tomatoes, about the same of diced mushrooms, about a quarter of a diced red onion, two cloves of garlic, and a can of Trader Joe's sardines it's about your about a four ounce package in olive oil Mm. so uh what you do is you take you take a pan and you put it inside of the oven that's already at three three fifty you wait for the pan to sort of already get hot once it gets hot you take that bowl of all those ingredients the sardines you're going to mush them up a little bit and also throw some black pepper and some salt in there um, stir that all together, put it in your pan, and then throw it in the oven for about 10 minutes. 
After about 10 minutes, take it out and then crack a couple of eggs over top of that. Put it back in the oven and then watch it until your whites have turned white. Wow. About, about 10 more minutes. And then uh, I just put your uh, your Frank's hot sauce on top of it. Mm. Um, but I'm very jealous to have not put on the, the Verde salsa. That would have been a nice hit. It's pretty bright. It brightens it up a little bit. Yeah. You know. Uh, oh, oh. Um, One what, thing what? I forgot. It also has Kalamata olives. Oh, for the Italian. For the Italian. I don't think. Oh, did I, I tell you? I'm having this with the Salice Salentino wine, <laughs> a red wine yeah. from Puglia. Is that how you say it? Puglia, exactly. Puglia and the heel. <laughs> yep. This was uh, recommended to me from my friends at Star Liquor in Madison, Wisconsin. Two pairs specifically for this meal. You're get get out of here. Mm, I'm not. <laughs> I'm serious. We're serious. Fantastic. Who's that behind you? That's Andy. Oh, hi, Andy. He's my person. He's also having this meal. Nice. Andy, what do you think? Is it good? Oh, he left. <laughs> it would he's he's he, he's wearing a he mask, had, so he's what was he wearing a mask? Yeah. Um he had to add another egg. Just to fortify the meal. I see. Because he's he's a mechanic, not a fisherman. So mm. mechanics meal adds another egg. Sure. Note that. Now, you know, the although the Minutemen aren't mechanics, they are, you know, men men of the sea. Like father, you know, his father was um he wasn't a fisherman, was it? What's what's dad? No, he was, he was a, a navy man. He was a navy man, yes. Yeah. For certain. Yeah. Boat man. That's what brought him to San Pedro. Yes. One of my favorite songs by them, The Anchor. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Great, great little tune. San Pedro, it's a port town. So it uh, it all kind of ties in together, this whole this whole deal. San Pedro, much like the coast of Italy, also, which I San Pedro, I am part Croatian. San Pedro oh. has the highest concentration of Croatians in LA County. Okay. So, yeah. And that was really kind of exciting to me because I'm from, but I was born in Chicago and there's a really big Croatian population in Chicago. And I another place outside of Chicago that was a heavy concentration of Croatians and lo and behold, San Pedro. Yeah. Wow. How about that? Have you ever ever actually been to San Pedro? I've not been. I've been around San Pedro, but not through San Pedro. I've been Long Uh, Beach and then up the coast, kind of jumped over. But growing up in Arizona and working with bands, we would tour and stop through Long Beach and then jump into L.A., but never played in San Pedro. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't think I've been there either. Yeah. I I want to I want to go right now. Go right now. <laughs> sure, why not? Yeah, you know that, that's what the band always had that pride. The band they're like, no, we're from Pedro. We're going to stay in Pedro. We know that the entertainment capital is just across the the hill over there, but we like it over here. And they kept their accents and their pride and their punk rock. They certainly did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How's your yeah. How's your How's your meal? It's really good. Yeah. Really, really good. I'm super stoked. <laughs> totally. Me too. This is quite good. Chock full of vitamins. Sardines, I never eat sardines. Oh, my God. I grew up on sardines. My mom loves sardines. Really? Yeah. She put them on toast and crack an egg and like a fried egg over them. Yeah. Eat them. I monster. mean, I'll, I'll do the rest of the fish. I'm cool with like pickled herring. I love anchovies. But sardines, yeah. And sardines just does not get any respect for me until well, now. sardines is like a really like it's a very good like it's a good travel food and it's a good you know like Im- impromptu food. Actually, it in a lot of cases, if you're going camping or hiking or backpacking, throw some oh, yeah. sardines in there. You know, totally. yeah. And that then you a- have all that stuff and rich in omegas. Good brain food. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you know it's got kind of like a tuna vibe. You know, mm-hmm. I don't find it too much different than your tuna. No, it's not harsh. 
Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty super mellow. Yeah. yeah, super mellow. And I honestly assumed that all sardines were already going to have bones in them. So I was relieved to find out that I didn't have to deal with that. Because I'm a little yeah. baby when it comes to having big bones out of my fish. Dude, Andy like, too. Oh, can you do it for me? Ugh. Yeah, the, Andy was like, ah, <laughs> uh, you're doing what with what? And I'm like, I'm making this meal with sardines. He's like, does that have bones in it? And I'm like, no, I'll get the boneless ones. It'll be fine. Yeah. But, but you grew up in Wisconsin. Didn't you eat fish growing up in Wisconsin? Oh, yeah. Tons of fish, but not sardines. I think, I mean, yeah. I, I remember my dad getting like a can of sardines and putting it on a cracker and being, being like, ew, gross. And, and, that, <laughs> and that was like the end of it. It just happened the one time as far as I can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as I said, the pickled herring. And, you know, I don't think that we had any fish that wasn't fried and not on right. a Friday, you know. Other than that, it was just kind of help, hamburger helper all week. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, with that, I think we're going to call it, Jeanette. Okay, buddy. That was, uh, I, I'd like to have this this meal for breakfast. We had a late night egg meal. <laughs> yes. Also very Italian. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Bravo, Italiano. Yeah, bravo, hey, molto bene. Nice work. <laughs> it was, well, it was great to catch up with you again, Jeanette. You too. Thanks so much for joining me on the show and recommending this delicious dish. Thank you for having me. It was a very fun time. Always a pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> Be well. Ciao, ciao. Okay, keep it rolling, buddy. And that's that, ladies and gentlemen, the Minutemen, sardines and eggs, or fishermen's eggs. You can make both. See which one's better. I'm a little jealous that I didn't cover my sardines in polenta. That sounds marvelous. There's talks I'm going to do a ween episode. Hmm. That should be cool. But who knows what's next? Either way, thanks for spending some time with me. Thanks for your reviews. If you haven't reviewed yet, please go to Apple Podcasts or go to Spotify. Review the show. Let like-minded folks know that you enjoy what we're doing here and you would like them to know about it as well. Until then, I'm signing off from Brooklyn, New York. This is Nathan Palin with This Bank Could Be Your Food. Cook on and rock out. Ciao, ciao.